skip my shout out real quick. And I'll just correct your spelling real quick. Of which word? Thief. Oh. I I before E, except after C. I and there's a gonna whole be a bunch of random words where that rule doesn't actually apply. That yeah. <laughs> that always trips me up. I'll I'll never not get it. So thank you. No, I always don't get it as well. And it's to the point where my phone will sometimes correct it to the, <laughs> to, wrong, to the wrong one because yeah. it's like well you always say that one i'm convinced that uh all my spell checks can no longer spell inglorious or bastards <laughs> <laughs> after doing the show notes last week got one yep correct your spelling again did i did i mess up psycho now? has an s in it after the p i knew that too <laughs> damn Anyway. Some, sometimes it's not that you're a bad speller, it's that if you're like me, your thumb typing skills don't hit every key, and uh, yeah. Thanks for that, but I am just a bad speller. <laughs> you are a bad speller, yes. But I, notoriously I, I, so. I'm a bad typer, especially on my phone. I rely yeah. on my phone to correct me. Yeah. Uh, Which that's... pisses me off when it doesn't do it correctly. Right, like, I'm I'm relying on you here, you can't let what me What the duck? What I type that for. Yeah. Right. Like, no one says that. Although, I will say, sometimes it tries to correct me on the grammar, and I'm great at grammar, and I'm like, no, that's correct. You just don't have the context to understand that that's what I meant. Sometimes uh, I want to use improper grammar, because I want to I wanna text the way I talk. Exactly. But I also want to use punctuation in capital letters. Okay. I I I, text I don't like a lot of text shortcuts. I don't like a lot of um No, I I always few. feel like I'm yeah. It's either silly or I'm going to be misinterpreted. I always somehow. feel like the the youth pastor or the old guy who's trying to be cool when I use like text abbreviations, but yeah. see you tomorrow and it's just <laughs> T M R W you yeah. I took all the vowels away. Oh, my prince. Hello, and welcome to The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I'm Austin Rude, and I'm the son. And I'm Phil Rude. I'm the dad. Every week we watch a movie, we get on mic, and we talk about it. Correct. And this season, we are doing uh, double features. Double features! That's right. Love uh, love the double feature. I'm actually so liking this a lot, uh, to the point I've considered pitching, should we do this all the time? <laughs> Uh, maybe it might get tired and like every theme it gets restrictive after a while you know and you you kind of want the freedom to loosen up a little bit but um we can always do uh another season of this when yeah whatever yeah but uh uh, it has been i think a really interesting season and i think this week illustrates exactly why there's some sometimes odd pairings that can potentially come up uh movies that i wouldn't think to put together or you wouldn't think to put together that actually we are pairing together. Like you had no idea about the Blues Brothers. And actually that turned right. out to be, if I say so myself, kind of a decent match to Baby Driver. It, it, did, um, it did kind of work, uh, which is fun. And this one, I we're going to get to it. I'm a little I, bit mixed on, but I 
I like where your head's at. And I, I, I like this aspect of it, of, of like, why did you match this? And I can really see it in this movie a lot more than I thought I was going to be able to at the beginning. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised that, like, thematically, these stories lined up as well as yeah, they, they, they Thematically, did. yes. Uh, I, I think it's it's crazy good how, how lined up they are. More than just, like, these are both World War II stories. Right. Uh, Let's just get into it. Uh, last week we watched Inglorious Bastards. That's right. And this week we're staying in that setting and we're going to watch The Book Thief. The Book Thief is a story about a girl named Liesel. Liesel. Uh, a young girl growing up in Nazi Germany after she's adopted by complete strangers. We get to see her life as she struggles with everyday things like adjusting to new parents, learning to read, and having a crush on a classmate, and... We get to see her struggle with the very real and dangerous war happening all around her, and we find out what that means. The Book Thief stars Sophia Nelisi as Leslie. Liesel. As Liesel. Uh, Joffrey Rush Jeff- as Hans. Jeffrey. That's a Jeffrey. Jeffrey Hush as Hans. Emily Watson as Rosa. Ben Schnitzer as Max. And Nicole... Sorry, uh, and Nico Liersha. Liersh, I would say. Yeah. Nico Liersh as Rudy. Uh, and Roger Allum as the voice of death. It was written by Michael Petroni, based on the book by Marcus Zaratz, and directed by Brian Percival. Yes. That is the cast. I want to talk about this cast a little bit because I, I'm i not overly familiar with Jeffrey Rush, but I remember him like in the 90s. He was in a movie called Shine, and it was like mm. one of these things where like I had never heard of Jeffrey Rush, but all of a sudden he's getting all these accolades for Shine. And I, then he showed up in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, and I, th- oh. I just I think Jeffrey Rush is great. And um, The King's Speech. Did you ever see the King's Speech? I I I have. He's the it's a long the time speech ago, therapist yeah. in that, and I think he's he's just as much as people. That's one of those Oscar winning movies that people are mad at that won the Oscar. I think that is a good movie, and I think Jeffrey Rush is great in it, and I think he's just so charismatic in every role he's in, and I really loved him in this movie. Oh, he's I thought he's he was, amazing. He was this. brilliant and. Just warm and kind and kind of the one, uh, the one warm spot in the beginning of this movie where everybody's a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, he's the one person who's kind to her. And uh, I think Jeffrey Rush sells that performance really, really good. I think, I think he's great in this movie. Yeah, I I don't know much of his other work, uh, or at least I didn't recognize him. But, but I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm really amazed that he. he you know him as the... as Barbosa in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, but I um, I never made that connection. R- right, because it's this. it's such a different kind of. He's the same character. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, well, I mean, it's so like over the top, which is yeah. like the selling point of that. Yeah. Um, had you seen this movie before? I, this is the second time I've seen this movie. Uh, I haven't seen it since it came out and 
I I wasn't sure what memories I had were from the book and from this movie. Uh, so it was kind of, it was a fun rewatch because uh, I didn't know everything that was going to happen. Right. Uh, and I liked it. Did you, did you like it more uh, when you, when you originally watched it, when it was right after you had read the book? Uh, actually, I liked it more this time. Get, get you a I, little separation? Yeah, I, I feel like I was judging it very heavily as an adaptation uh, the first time around. And this time I just watched it as a movie. And to be clear, this this movie reads very much like a book adaptation in that it is insanely long. And we could have trimmed a lot of the fat here uh, if we weren't being so meticulously like adapting this from the book but you know that's okay i actually uh, have notes on that in that this this is very clearly a book adaptation and netflix has made me have a really good radar for what if i didn't know this was from a book i would have been able to tell by the end of it there's always a pacing to it books can afford to kind of take their time and do kind of side quest stories and things like that and uh, book adaptations always go on past the point where a movie would logically end. You know what right. I mean? Like their conclusion is five chapters long. Yes. And so. And it's, I think it's why like Return of the King ends like five times because mm -hmm. they're doing all the book endings. And this movie, this movie comes to like three different points where it could stop before they take it to the, the Titanic framed photograph montage right you know, that, the, that uh that it ends on um with the I, the I, death narration i'm curious what what other points do you think it could have ended on um i thought it would have ended uh well the bombing of of the town for one i thought mm, right i thought oh like it ends here uh and it, it almost does but there was uh the point where Hans comes back for more. And he comes home, yeah. Uh, I thought that was going to be. And I also kind of thought we might not see that. And the the point when they were hiding in the bomb shelter and she tells her story at that point. You know what I mean? Where she becomes the entertainment. In, where the, where the, she's the, the she's calming, the leader, right? Yes, uh, the calming uh, presence, which was, for me, also uh, the... Uh, maybe I wanted it to end there because that's... Uh, I literally cried at that moment. That that was the one point where that really did emotionally connect with me in this movie. It's a really happy moment. It's uh, it's a happy moment and a very sad moment where she looks at where her her adopted father had sat and played the accordion the last time mm -hmm. they were in there, and I just thought that was so um so poignant and so emotional in a movie that didn't connect with me all the way through. Uh, this is the, the part where I complain about the book adaptation or it being too much a slave to the book adaptation is that this movie kind of drags sometimes and it's not, it feels like filler, but it's one of those things where I can see how in a book, this makes a lot of sense to, to, explore this aspect of the character the whole thing is kind of filler in in a sense like kind of yeah there's not a strict linear plot going on 
Th- there, there is, there is but... but it's broken up with these other parts. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as, as so it would kind of lose me, and then it would kind of come back. And I think the thing that kept bringing me back was the actors. They did sell the connections, and it was well written in those parts of it where you got the connection between Liesel and Max, and you got the connection between Hans and Max, and why he feels so indebted. To, this, to save, uh, to risk the entire family to save Max. And eventually you get the connection between Rosa and Max and Liesel, who she has begrudgingly accepted both of these people into her home and grown to love them. And I love that Emily Watson plays that whole range of that character. I think she's brilliant in this movie. And that she goes from being the person, the most unlikable person, to somebody that you really understand does love her family, just kind of in her own way, and she actually starts to show it more. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I I wasn't sure coming into this uh, with you having not read the book if you would connect to these characters, just given the the movie or if I was only connecting to the movie because I knew the book characters, it's, it's good to know that no, the for movie sure. stands on its own there. I think it does. And I think, I think the performances of the, of the actors are, I think lesser actors would not have sold those connections as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe a lesser adaptation, you know, if the script had not been, I don't know how directly it's taken from the book as far as like the things that they're saying to each other and the way the events play out. But everything from them learning to read together, you know, Mm -hmm. I understand Jeffrey Rush can actually read, but like (laughs) that they, and him building the, the dictionary in the, out of the basement. And like, that was all connecting with me early on, but the evolution of Emily Watson's character of Rosa to warming up to them until it finally turns the corner with the snowball fight in the in the basement, which is right. just just a beautiful sequence. It's a really happy Christmas uh, time. It did connect with me, and I I worried about it too because it, the first twenty minutes of this, I'm gonna say, I was really having a slog, and I thought, oh, we're in for boy in the striped pajamas <laughs> part two, like you know this real. Not that that isn't a powerful movie. But it's just a joyless Nazi uh, cautionary tale movie that there was kind of a genre of those. That it's, it's you, a really hard thing to watch. It's it, like it, a, it's it's not that those movies aren't powerful. It's just like there there is no joy in them, and and you really have to settle in for them. You know? I, I was afraid you were gonna come away from this thinking that's what this movie is. Oh, I don't uh, think that's what this movie is at all. I think this I, it, movie is is largely a celebration of of the power of art and the power of humanity in the face of fascism. I I, I think this movie is it's very clear the positive message that this movie has, as opposed to uh, those other, you know, the concentration camp genre. That right. came out in like the early two thousands. That was just just kind of like you need to see this movie and then try to scrape it out of your memory for the rest of your life. You know, you <laughs> it's know what I mean. Traumatize it's, you, yeah, yeah. Just just sort of like a uh, 
a dark history lesson as opposed to an artistic statement about the power of words. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I have a thing I want to say, but I don't. Go, know. go, go. I, it's almost like Passion of the Christ. Yeah. How it's like, this is a really dark, like, taking that, this is what Christ went through and just brutally, like, right. giving you every detail of it when you could just tell the story and give hope and inspire in a much more positive way. I've not, I don't, I don't want to comment on Passion of the Christ too much because I still have never seen that movie. Uh, But that's why I didn't want to see that movie is because that's what people talked about was like, oh, this will make you understand what Jesus went through. I'm like, I would rather have a movie that was about the metaphor of what Jesus stands for and what the the resur- the crucifixion and resurrection what that what that represents in terms of you know being reborn into a better version of yourself and things that you know like not actually being tortured and nailed to a plank of wood you know like it's yes the same thing where i remember when that movie came out people told me you have to see this movie and I'm like, no, I don't have to see that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, I, I, I want to, I want to watch this as a movie and as a piece of art. And you're looking at this as a, a religious, um, a religious prerequisite. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is it's one a of lesson the, you have yes, to go through. It's like the movie version of the stations of the cross. And it's like, you know, like, but yeah, I, I know I don't want to get too, in the weeds about Passion of the Christ. But yes, I know what you're saying. Like a very, uh, sort of a focus on, there's no metaphor there. There's no lesson. There's no. It's it's just showing suffering to show suffering. It's almost like the shock value of it. Right. And it's like, we, we don't have to see that. We don't have to necessarily like, it almost feels cheap to the victims that actually were impacted by this to just have it like, you know, like we we can understand and empathize without just watching two hours of that. Right. I mean, it's in more recent history. Like there have been movies about nine eleven, and there are war movies that are like a celebration of war that miss the point. Whereas opposed to like, if someone was to make a real, um, thoughtful movie about nine eleven, and maybe there is one that I'm just not thinking of that talked about, uh you know, uh, the the unity through tragedy, through collective Mm -hmm. trauma, you know, sort of like healing, anything like that, it would be better than just sort of the, the exploitation of tragedy that I feel like a lot of these movies are. And I feel like that's some of the, the World War II, the Nazi, the concentration camp, it, it feels like exploitation of the worst parts of humanity ever. I I, I agree. As opposed to actually making a statement on something. Yeah. Um, Which is, I think, what sets this movie apart, really. Like, I'm not going to say I was mad at you for picking this in the first 20 minutes. (laughs) But... uh, uh, You you definitely had some, like, reserves about it. it Yeah, because I, I wasn't sure what this movie was. I didn't really know anything about it. The most I had done is look at the cast list and i'm like oh uh emily watson i like her in punch drunk love mm-hmm. uh, uh jeffrey rush is a great actor like let's see what this is and i'm i'm really glad that you brought this to the table this isn't my favorite movie it, uh but i think the core of this movie is really saying something insanely positive and 
um, extremely sadly relevant to a lot of the conversation in America at the moment. I'm not trying to be political or topical, but if we want to talk about fascism and uh, fascism taking over schools, we want to talk about book burnings and in, in a time when books are being banned, check local listings. We live in Florida. Book banning is an actual it's giant problem. It's all over problem. the place here. Um, and so there were things like that in this movie that I think hit home with me a lot. And the idea of people among that fighting to, at least on a personal level, to fighting censorship, to stay literate, to to continue interacting with art in the midst of people trying to take it away. I think maybe it maybe it is timing that had a lot to do with why it hit home. But like that's that's an important message, I think it's it's always going to be a relevant message, I think, sadly. Uh, very sadly, but it's a thing that we live with, and I think this this movie shows it beautifully. It's a lot like Jojo Rabbit, in my opinion. Uh, in some ways, uh, yeah. How it shows the radicalization of youth and these ideas that go through them. Uh, it's there, chilling there, in this movie, like seeing uh, all the Hitler youth in the in their uniforms singing. Right. It, it's, when, when they yeah. have to go to the parade, which is really the book burning, right? Uh, and there's, like, talk that day of, like, you have to put the flag out. People are going to talk. Uh, yes, I love that. I love that part where Jeffrey Rush is looking for the flag. Where's the flag? I have to put the flag out. People will think we're making a statement if we don't put our flag out. Right. And I love that this movie is showing you that how much the Nazis just ruled by fear. It wasn't that every was German was going well, along with him. It was because every German was afraid if I don't go along with it, they'll disappear me. And that was a very real fear. And I I love that this movie shows that. And uh, they've also got... I lost it. Dang it. Uh, the book burning. The flag. There's, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, also with the book burning, uh, Rudy, how he's like... He, he's patriotic in that scene, but almost in an unknowing way. Like, right. He's just kind of, oh, this is family day. This is my dad's in the army and I'm going along with my dad kind of a thing. Uh, right. So we get that shot of like, they're reciting the pledge or whatever. And in the background, Hans is like, v very saddened by what he's watching. Right. And they're almost unaware uh, Liesel is like a little more, she's like, something's off about She only this. is when she has to throw a book into the fire. Like that's, I think when it hit, she's like, why am I doing this? Right. It, it doesn't make sense to, to her. It. But initially when they're hiding Max and she brings home the newspaper and is like, look, we're winning the war. And she doesn't understand that the two are related. That, right. That, that he doesn't want them to that win That it's the not war. a good thing that they're, you know, but just sort of the nationalism. And I think it's pointing a lot towards the indoctrination that Rudy is a, a Hitler youth who's also idolizing a black man. He like, loves Jesse Owens. I love that I... this movie does blackface in, in a positive way. Is there a 
Is, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. He's not doing blackface, but he's like he's trying to pretend to be Jesse Owens. So he's and it's showing that this kid is being trained to be like these are the stats that make you good. But then he's also just like a kid, and he's like the fastest man alive. Right, I he's the, be fastest the fastest man, man alive, and, and he and doesn't understand that being a Nazi means you can't like black people. Like it's and that his father is against blackface. For a very different reason than most people are against blackface. Yes. Uh, and, but that's the other side of that coin of showing that, like, a lot of Germans just went along because they were afraid. It also doesn't let off the hook that a lot of Germans joined the party and were fanatical members. Rudy's dad mm-hmm. is a is an enthusiastic Nazi. Right. Like, and we we kind of get all shades of that between right Rudy's dad and then we've got Hans who is forcefully enlisted and yeah, right he's conscripted into the into the army even though he's basically a senior citizen right and then we have Rudy who is not understanding the values he's being taught and he doesn't want to fight but that's what he's being brought up to do because that's just the expectation yeah. And I think the good part of this movie spanning time the way it does is that we see these kids getting older and understanding more. And the older Rudy gets, that means the closer he gets to military service. And it makes him realize, like, I don't want to, I don't want to fight. I don't want to join the army. He wants to run I, away. I, yeah, he's he's prepping to run away. And, I, you know, it leads them to the scene where they are on the lake and they just scream, I hate Hitler because they're out in the woods by themselves and they can finally let go of the feelings that they are afraid to show to everybody, which was a huge turn for me because I thought for sure when she told Rudy about Max that that was going to be the turn was he was going to turn her in. Right. And I love that Rudy remained her loyal friend through the entire movie because through it out he's just he's just a boy who has a crush he becomes he becomes uh i think he has a crush on her but i think he's also like genuinely her friend it's not like a like a i just want to hook up with liesel he really is like her friend and he treats her as an equal and as a friend through the entire thing Uh, of course i'm i'm just saying like it's his innocence of like sure at the end of the day, he's just a human. They're and right. That's what all of this is. Is they're just people. Like, but you're not being, sure at the beginning because there are fanatical Hitler youth in this movie too. There's there like are, the, the yeah. school bully and and other. You know, most of those kids are real jerks at that school. But yeah, it's um, kind of the, uh, the yeah. majority rule. Uh, <laughs> it's like the first uh, the first twenty minutes of the movie. I'm like, not everyone's a jerk. Stephen King actually wrote that part. Right. <laughs> There's the, the homicidal uh, school bullies. Switchblade comes out. Uh, yeah, 1930s Germany. Nobody was nice. What's going on here? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I do love that um, that's the span of time that they show, is that the longer Liesel is here, the more actual connection she makes. She makes... The connection to Rudy and to Hans and then to Rosa and to Max and uh, the burger, the burgermeister's wife um, with the library. The burgermeister. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, she she actually 
has a community around her in the midst of this hateful time and these, you know, these Nazis who come in and are like knocking on doors and everybody's living in fear and uh, just such an uncertain time that she has a support network that she, the movie shows the progression of that and that she, it's sort of like a homegrown circle of friends. You know, it's not like kind of lesser movies where they're like, oh, these characters are friends. Well, why? Because we just need them to be friends, and the script says so. It, like, they it's actually develop relationships in this movie. Yeah. And and I like that it also feels like all of these nice people are almost, I don't want to say outliers, but it doesn't, it's not painting this false reality of like, oh, everyone was happy-go-lucky, right. forced into doing Everyone things. in our town was the good Germans. Right. And, and, like, yeah. it's not that. Uh, it's... There's a lot of grays in here. Right. Uh, like, I mean, the Burgermeister's wife. I, She's married to this man to, who's giving speeches right. on... To uh, leading book a book burning, burning and, and has the greatest library in, in that town, you know? It's totally hypocritical. It is. But she's also a nice person. All I could think of in that was all of the GOP politicians who tell you that education is indoctrination and don't send your children to college... And meanwhile, they send their children to Ivy League schools. And, you know, know, it's it's just such it is the idea of just weaponizing ignorance in that way. And this movie shows that in a very literal way, but also lets you know that's what's going on. Yeah. But I I do love a great library, by the way, too. It, it, it really, it's, it's such a cool it's like room. Beauty and the Beast. It, it really, it's got the ladders and everything on there. But uh, yeah, there there's all different shades of people, and a lot of those people take on different attitudes throughout the movie. And that th- mm-hmm. this is an evolution of characters going on through here. It's really it's really really good. It's like a slice of life, kind of yeah, or death. Since this is narrated by death. This is narrated by death. I thought that was weird. Yeah. I I feel like I can see how that works in a book setting. Um, Here, like what you said, um, we talked off mic a little bit more about Inglorious Bastards. And you mentioned the, the Hugo Stiglitz narration. The right. exposition, how Morgan that's the Freeman. only part of, uh, it's, uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, sorry. And, um, uh, it's the one part of that movie that has narration. Nothing else does. And yeah. so it seems very out of place. Um, and I, I kind of feel like in this movie, it kind of fades in and out. It's, there's big stretches of the movie with no narration and then it's like, oh, hey, remember me? I'm Death, and I'm dropping bombs on this town. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I get it. It's clever. It's well-written. It's poetic. I. It feels a little whimsical in this movie. Yeah. Like, it kind of doesn't match the, the There was like a lemony snicket tone. tone to I, it at the beginning. I'm like, what is this? And, and I kind of like that for, like, lifting up the mood, but it's a little weird in this context. The thing, and this is my gripe as this stands as an adaption. The only thing the movie, I think, kind of got wrong is the narration. Uh, it should have 
here's the thing. The book, it's very clearly told by death. And there's this tension that keeps building of like, you know, death is coming. They keep reminding you of right. that fact that it's getting closer and closer and closer. And then you think it's Liesl that's going to die. It's right. everyone around her. Uh, spoilers. But uh, <laughs> it's a little late for that, but spoilers. Uh, and yeah, I there's something really satisfying in the book about that. But in the movie... The ending just kind of happens. It's the ending kind of happens. Um, there's a poetry to the ending in that the the Nazi officer who is looking for a bomb shelter, and he's mm-hmm. like, your basement is unfit to be a bomb shelter. Liesel's in the basement, is the only survivor on that street. You know, uh, the, right. the, idea that, the idea that the basement is a safe place, it is a safe haven for Max, it is a place of knowledge. It's where the dictionary is. It's where she does her writing. Uh, the idea of it as a sacred kind of holy ground place that protects her. I uh, had never and, looked at it like that. Uh, I enjoy that aspect of it. And that's kind of where I wish the movie had ended. The tacked on, oh, she went on to have grandchildren. The Titanic ending, mm-hmm. I didn't really care for. I felt like, that felt like a, I don't know if that's in the book. It felt like more of a Hollywood ending kind of thing. And that's where most of the death narration comes in. So for me, the best parts of this movie had nothing to do with the death narration. Probably because it wasn't the constant that was reminding me you that I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. When you're sitting here watching uh, Nazis, you're watching uh, SS officers come into the town. You're watching uh, troop vehicles come through. Uh, they're looking for bomb shelters. They're sitting during air raids in basements. You are constantly reminded that death is coming, that these people are living in a dangerous place and in dangerous times. They're hiding Max. They're hiding a Jew so that he won't be killed. They are hiding from death. They're like, they're, I don't think you need a person to literally be death in this movie because you are seeing it around every corner just visually in, I mean, metaphorically, I guess, but like, you know, it's there. You're, it's always nagging at you as you're watching this, you know what the stakes are. And, and it's almost like the book didn't have the visual reminder. So it needed the metaphor. I mean, there are Nazi flags and swastikas everywhere in this movie. And it's, it is almost looming. Like, yeah, it's, it's it's a constant sense of dread. It's a, it's a, there are some visuals in this movie that I think, uh, are, I don't think there's like, there's nothing outstanding about the choreography in here, but I think they're uh, not choreography, uh, cinematography, mm-hmm. uh, but, but there are some shots that are, I think just put together that are super powerful, like the chorus of Hitler youth children all in their uniform. And there's so many of them. It's like every child in the town. And, and it starts with just, yeah, they, right. On they they, pu- they we... pull out. I think that's a great shot. And it's the, all the swastikas, the book burning scene is chilling. Uh, and uh, like, they really do a good job of capturing all this in a way that there's just a sense of dread to the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's conveyed through the actors, the, to take it to the book burning and the reluctant um, Jeffrey Rush being like reluctantly going along 
when they do like the Heil Hitler salute. He does his, and it is so like half the way he sells that. Jeffrey Rush as an actor, he does a salute. He's a half step behind everybody else, and it's he's very kind of slow. You can see like I'm not I'm doing this, but I'm very much just going through the motions, and I'm not going to be enthusiastic about this. I'm not even going to I'm going I'm going to do the bare minimum to be left alone. Right. And, I, mean, and, I don't want to draw attention. And but. again, I think that's the thing of having a, a great actor play that role is that they're not overdoing it one way or the other. Jeffrey Rush does that perfectly. Mm-hmm. So you know exactly where, where his character stands, that he hates the, his, the Nazis have taken over his country and he knows he can't really do anything about it by himself. But also uh, later on in that scene when uh, Liesl is talking about her own mother uh, and she's like, well, if Hitler did that to my mother, then I hate Hitler. And he's like, you can't say right, that. Right. Like, he 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 teaches her like we you have to we, keep we have up to appearances. be smart about yeah, this. We, right. And then he shows her the quiet way of resistance, which is. Through literature, literature, writing Max. I I, I want to talk about that the most because I think that's the the great part of this this movie is its focus on on art censorship and and fighting fascism by the by educating by yourself. educating yourself by by participating in this art. And I like that it is on a a personal level. This isn't a movie about Jeffrey Rush and and Liesl secretly educate all the children and, and give them books. It's like, no, no. Like, it, it's kind of like the idea of, like, fighting fascism, fighting racism. You can't really, like, outlaw racism. You can't outlaw people from having homophobic views or anything like that personal views everybody stop everybody has to have their own come to jesus moment and the best Mm -hmm. you can do is like you know be your best self and hope that everybody else decides to be that too and this movie isn't telling some fairy tale about uh oh liesel shared books with all the children and then all the nazis went away you know like (laughs) this is just very much about one family doing everything that they can to be the best version of themselves. It's and, it's kind of leading by example. Yes. Just just showing this story and being like, this is what people should strive to be. Uh you know, through through music and through writing and through reading. The the choice of books that they have in there. The invisible man. Max is the invisible man who exists but no one can see him and uh, like all I, I love i love these things that they bring into it that show there's a joy and a parallel in art to our everyday lives and that that's why it's important to keep it alive there's um there's just so much of that stuff and i think this is to jump ahead to the double feature aspect of it this is where it really connects to inglorious bastards with me uh, the idea of Shoshana killing the Nazis with film, with right? I cinema with doing it herself and fight back with bringing her stories. own best art into literally fighting fascists in her theater. I, I, I and I think I think that's the crossover 
of this movie that connects this as a double feature. And the funny thing is, I had forgotten about that when I... It's the most important part! It it ended up being, like, perfect, and I didn't even... I kind of thought this was going to be a bad mashup. Uh, I think the only thing is, maybe maybe watch The Book Thief first. Uh, Yeah. And then you, you have a... You have an uplifting almost. I'm uh, I'm still torn on if this is a good double feature or not because thematically I think they match really really well, but the tone of the two is so drastically different. I cannot imagine watching these movies on the same day. It, it would it, be a lot. It's whiplash, man. <laughs> like you're like, whoa, whoa, what is going on? I think either way, whichever one you watch first or second, like it's. It's going to be a big step yeah. in either direction. Yeah, I don't, Just yeah. tonally, it doesn't work. I think I think you would be, do best to watch this one first uh, because uh, you get some levity afterwards. And that levity is not going to feel super out of place because this movie does end on a positive note. It, it takes a step up at the end. It does. And, and uh, despite the, the bombing of the town, um, it... It does take a step, you know, Liesl survived and she went on to have a long life and it takes a step. In the, so it's not leaving you on this huge depressing note. It feels complete. And you then know? you have yourself a little intermission and then you start, uh, you start on, you start on a family that's hiding Jews from the Nazis. Yeah, once uh, again. You know, like, so, uh, yeah, I think in that way it could work. You would have to flip the order, but, um, yeah. Okay. I, I kind of wanted to bring up, since you had Yes, I jumped ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. But you mentioned uh, the books that Liesl, uh had stolen and how, like, The Invisible Man, that works perfectly. Right. And I was like, there were other ones in the book. I wonder what, because I don't really remember them. So I looked it up and uh, I, are you okay if I just yeah, read yeah, off please. a few of these? Uh so she also in the book stole the lighthouse. Uh, uh, she also the shoulder shrug, which featured a Jewish protagonist. Uh, she steals the dream carrier from uh, the Burgermeister's library. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a song in the dark. Uh, the standover man, the mud men. Uh, and the last human stranger. I I don't know most of these books, so I don't know, but I'm I'm willing to bet there's some significance in each and all of those. Well, the books. Mud Men wouldn't that be like the Gollum, the Jewish, you know, the Jewish monster that, uh, and also like he talks about the word life being the thing that separates men from a lump of clay or right, something yeah. like that that's very uh, much in the jewish uh in the, it, right there's I, I bet those are a lot it sounds like a lot of jewish or jewish metaphor uh to those book titles also a song in the dark you have hans playing the accordion in the in the bomb shelter literal song uh, in the dark uh, uh, let me let me use art to you know lift you up and distract you from this mm-hmm. horrific scary uh can't imagine you know uh but yeah things like that in the the very first book they read together is like the grave diggers handbook stolen from uh, her brother's stolen grave from site. from yeah. the uh the uh uh 
priest, I guess, whoever the, performed the the yeah, whoever burial. the funeral home yes. person. So it was uh, just such a. I love that it. She learns to read with such an odd book, and uh, you know, I think there's some significance there to the impending, impending doom, impending death. You know, it could have to do with the death looming. It's probably it's something constant, far yeah. more obvious than that. But but there is something there. Uh, and yeah, I, I also like uh, probably the best book in this movie, the painted over Mein Kampf. Uh, yeah. L- literally just erasing those yes. evil words and uh, making it a blank slate to, Des- to write something. Destroy this hate and let's write our own story over it. Let's, it's, let's it's, using art to actually censor hate as yes. opposed to the other way around. It's, yes. the, it's the most blatant that they get with uh, kind of the theme of this movie. Right. I feel like. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's there, but it's not... Um, I'm gonna say it's like not in your face about it, but it's it it is just a a symbol of what they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, um. I I also uh like the just the I'm not stealing. I'm borrowing. Her whole justification. It doesn't matter. She's just so driven to live in this world of reading that she's almost accidentally discovered. You know what I mean? I, and I just sort of like this, I think that's sort of like the human nature to experience art, no matter who's trying to stomp it out. It's, it's a drive. It's, it, people are driven to read, to watch film, to listen to music. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how you try to drown that out. Like, people are always going to want to do it. And that's why I think I connected with this as a kid so much is like, I loved to read and, uh, this whole book was about like, it it felt rebellious to read. It felt like, Ooh, I'm making a stand. I'm reading. Stick it to the people who want you to be uneducated and, and, you know, experience some art for yourself. Yeah. But, but part of that is in like her being the book thief, like that she's she can't just obtain boats it's not that easy she has to like she has to fight for it she, she, has, she to, has to scrounge her way right. to, to find all of these books she's and, going to extremes to be able to to experience the library and the books and and, right. and, and the and, literature and right. that always felt so impactful and just like i want to i want to be searching for knowledge that kind of a thing right it's a uh, it's a it's a great message, I think. I think so. Um, I want to talk real quick about like the they them showing the impact of uh, war on civilians, even in the fact that this is these are Germans. Uh, they were hit by Allied bombs. Yes, we were fighting a war, fighting fascism, but it impacts real people and i mm-hmm. i think there's something really great about them actually showing this you know bombs when we go to war and we're fighting an enemy no matter how justified bombs fall on civilians it happens all the time and it happened a lot in world war ii it happens a lot more than people want to talk about and this had a feel to it like 
uh, the Vonnegut book, Slaughterhouse-Five, uh, because Vonnegut was a POW in World War II, and he witnessed the Allied bombing of uh, Dresden. And that's largely what uh, a plot in Slaughterhouse-Five is. It's about like the horrors of war and actually witnessing something terrible, even if it's your side that's doing it. Like, it, the author really lived through that? He, he actually... Used... Uh, Kurt Vonnegut actually lived through that and was wow. like forced to clean up uh uh the aftermath of the the firebombing of Dresden. So then and, he wrote later and on then he wrote Slaughterhouse experience. 5 which is largely a science fiction huh. novel but actually deals with the real world effects of that firebombing and of war in general and you know it was yeah, he was largely anti-war author I think because of what he saw then and it, it is just sort of like Hey, just because that's your side doing the bombing doesn't mean the end result isn't horrific. And I love that this movie shows that. This movie's not not trying to play like, oh, the Allied forces were this white knight coming in and saving the day. It's like, there's a lot of collateral damage when your nation goes to war. Like, that's mm-hmm. just what it is. And this just reminded me of Slaughterhouse-Five. I've not read it in years and years. Uh but this just drummed that up that after after her house gets bombed and just seeing the aftermath of that and all everybody she knows is laying dead in the streets around her and there's all this rubble pretty and horrific. it is just sort of like yes this is a horrific side effect of war no matter which side you're on this affects real people um and i thought that was also very powerful again would have been that perfect note to end this movie on uh but you know Book adaptations be adapting. Listen, I, it did end <laughs> on that note. It didn't like no. It did. counteract that by no, 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 like, no. I know. I just, I, I think, yeah. That's just where. That's one of the points where I just said ah, I would end this movie there. You, you wanted it to end on the more sad note. I, I didn't think it was surprising. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was just the most powerful, and I think the most summarized note of it there was was that point and then the last part the last section where they're like tracking around her house right. that was just sort of the button on it all you know and that's what i think it was i yeah i, I really like it as just, a satisfying yeah. that's fine satisfying it's, it's fine ending, it's but, fine you know, i don't i don't want to harp on it yeah but it's not bad either no it's way, not bad so we'll take it I, I feel like, here's the thing, is this movie is really poignant, I really like it, but discussing it is just like, I, I feel like it's pretty, pretty cut and dry when, once we get into it, like it's, yeah, I it's, mean, it, here's what the theme is, here's what happens in it, here's the cool things we liked, I feel like we've, this movie lays everything out and it does a great job of show don't tell, mm-hmm. Uh you're told everything through the actions of the characters. You know where they stand. You know who they are. You know how they interact with each other. You know what they're doing. You know why they're doing it. And it all just plays out and it trusts the audience to go with it. So when it comes to discuss it, it's really just putting it all on the table and going, well, I like this because of this and I like this because of that. Right, because the movie um, already made its point. Like- but I wouldn't call this a simple movie. I, th- I think this movie is really good and I... I think it does what it does really well. And it's discussing some kind of 
tricky things to discuss. But mm-hmm. you're right. It, once you start discussing it, it's all it's all kind of right there, and it's just put together in a really good way. Yeah, I I didn't mean to sound like oh it's simple. It's a no, simple no 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 no. It's or, like, and it's know? not a it's not a movie that like we've talked about with some of these where it's just kind of a surface level conversation. There's nothing deeper going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not ready or not. It's not this, this the Blues Brothers. The bubble. It's, it, the bubble. Great, great, great uh, example of that. But yeah, this movie I think is is complex. It's simple. It's again, I think it could have been a little better executed. I think there's a little bit of fat that could have been trimmed out of the book adaptation part of it. Uh, but I think the message of this movie is very powerful and very positive. Uh, and, um, you know, keeping with our theme running from the Blues Brothers forward, uh, you know, fuck all Nazis and their, their right. fascist censorship ways. I think that's going to be um, just our, our theme <laughs> throughout. Know, should we just go an- anti-fascist movies from here out? Um, but I'm now questioning... <laughs> I. <laughs> I think there might be something about that in the movie I, I picked for next. I week. think I think there may just be something in in the the air of uh, filmmakers and artists where they just you know fucking hate fascists, and maybe that's just kind of a a fingerprint on a lot of art is, uh, is getting uh, your anger uh, out at Nazis. <laughs> Stop being a, a Nazi asshole. But uh, no, I think I think this movie has a, a great message. Not only about anti-fascism, I just think that the they even say it in here: the, the power of words, the power of art, and and the power of humanity. Like they even, when Jeffrey Rush questions them taking that man away that they suspect is secretly Jewish, mm-hmm. you know, and Liesel's like, "What did he do wrong?" And Max says he reminded them of their humanity. Like, it is just sort of like, fascism is a machine. It is it is robotic. It is the state machine. Questioning it is wrong. Questioning it, it means you're having a free thought. And that, you know, like, it is anti-humanity. Uh, and so, like, the idea of, of these things being very important, I think this movie highlights all of that. I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's great in, in what it does with that. Well, I like how you said, like, we've done three movies about Nazis, but, like, all of them kind of handle them very differently. Sure. I I mean, mean, it's very comedic in the Blues Brothers. I mean, it's very, uh, (laughs) to say that movie's about Nazis is... uh, The the Blues Brothers, they're basically just a a punching bag there. Sure. Uh, Which is also fun. It's fun. It's it's great. There's nothing (laughs) deep about it. Uh, And then we've got uh, Inglourious Bastards. Bastards. they're very evil. They're very like, uh, a lot of them are bumbling idiots. Like, right? Uh, and they're children, and they're they're largely uh, just just faceless monsters, kind mm-hmm. of thing. But there's also no gray area. Like, th- they didn't want to explore any of the good Germans in that movie. They, uh, they came just close enough with Zoller, with the they, the, they the did, famous yeah. guy, where they they start to kind of go, well, maybe he's more than that, and then they're. They're like, nope, at the end of the day, he's thrown in his lot with these terrible people, and he's a terrible person, too. 
Right. And I think that's a totally fine way to play it. I think that's a great way to play it. I also think this movie plays it very differently, and that's also totally okay. They're they're telling three very different stories. Yes. And, and, And three very different kinds of ways to to combat fascism you know like it's even inglorious bastards explores two of those right uh, you know you can fight fascism with fascism you know it's just kind of righteous with fo- you're fighting brutal force with brutal force you know mm-hmm. uh or or you can fight it uh with art and fire and <laughs> and and i think this one is is really just making a case of like there are evil things in the world and you know, just let let yourself be the most enlightened version of yourself that you can be and put something positive into the world. I, I love that she writes a book over Mein Kampf. I, I feel like I sometimes I have too many thoughts yeah, and then I know, they branch I know. out yeah, they, and I'm like, I don't know. They can't all fit through the door at the same time. Yeah. Like, dang it. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Mr. Three, Burns. It's three Stooges syndrome. <laughs> Indestructible. Oh, dear God, no. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, okay, so... No, I lost it again. Okay, uh, all right. We'll work up to it. Uh, this is tricky. All right, should we talk about something else and then just see if it comes to you? Yeah, just go for it. I, uh, do, you have any, do you have any other topics to explore? No, I just wanted to talk about, like, how they connect, like, this double feature. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. Okay, here it is. Uh, so I feel like both these movies have a similar theme. Uh, Inglorious sure. Bastards is very much like, let's use art to wipe away the Nazis and fight them and screw them, blah, blah, blah. Like, But it's very in your face about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, just kind of funny that they're like, it's like fighting fire with fire almost. Yeah. Like, it's just very brash movie. Very stylized, very cool, not bashing it, just like it is. No, no, yeah, very, that's, that's what it is. That's, yeah. yeah, and then we've got this, and it's the same message of use art and literature to fight the Nazis. Right. But it's it's very dark, it's very period piece, it's very gloomy and lets you absorb the world almost. It's like... It's almost pacifist. Yeah. Like, I, like Hans is a pacifist. It is, like, it. it's doesn't matter about the war the war is wrong like right that kind of a thing uh i i just feel like it's targeting almost two different audiences you know you've got like i i feel like you you said a lot of people walked into inglorious bastards thinking it's like this world war ii there was a lot of uh there was a lot of like boomer dads yeah who were going there because they thought it was going to be the dirty dozen or the great escape or these these World War II movies that were straight action movies. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Uh, uh, I, that, because that's how it was marketed. It was marketed as this is the story of the inglorious bastards and their exploits. And it's like, instead they, they get this story about a, a Jewish woman who's escaped uh, being murdered by the Nazis and is basically hiding and plotting against them you know these these other so, so side they, stories going on. Right, they're, they're looking for an action. They movie. they thought it was going to be much more oh, in oh. the vein. You could just tell when the when the movie was over and the the lights come up. 
Yeah. You know, I get up and I turn around and there's all these old guys kind of shaking like, what, what was that? Like, mm-hmm. that wasn't what I came in to see, you know, they okay. thought it was going to be much more of a, and I didn't talk to them. This was just my I, assumption. I know, I get it. But yeah. you could, you could just kind of see like, oh, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all. I, I thought it was, they were expecting this movie. They were expecting. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Diary Van Frank or Stripes Pajamas. No, like, it was more like a like a Dirty Dozen kind okay. of kind of thing, you know. But but either way, I I guess my point is like you you can target people with a very I mean you can even target uh an audience like with an action movie or with Inglorious Bastards sure. or with this all to end up with the same message of. Nazis suck. Let's fight sure. them with art. Yeah, and I think all of those are very valid ways to to get that message across. I agree. There's a there's a movie that came out a few years ago with George Clooney, uh, John Goodman, Matt Damon, uh, Bob Balaban's mm-hmm. in it. It's called The Monuments Men, and it is based on the story of uh, this army unit in World War Two that was trying to reclaim art that the Nazis had taken, had confiscated. They had it in bunkers. They were trying, they were destroying a lot of it. You know, they were, they were trying to get it back. They, you know, these culturally relevant pieces of it's art. another thing fascism um, does a lot. Yes. Destroy uh, and, and culture. I think, I don't think that was a great movie. There's better, like, documentaries about that actual story. Like but it's about a good story, but you don't think the movie The was message good. of that story, again, a very different movie from both of these, but the message of that story was art matters. And mm-hmm. people who try to take that away from, from cultures are wrong. And, you know, it, it is culturally relevant. It's culturally important. These aren't just pretty pictures that you look at. These mean something. And when people are trying to take that away, what they're trying to do is take your culture away from you. They're trying to take your humanity away from you. They're trying to not remind you of anything that may stir emotion or free thought in you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's really just trying to take things away. And it's, uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of movies that could have fit this this bill when we come at it from that direction. And to be honest with you, when I brought Inglorious Bastards to the table for this show, I wasn't thinking of any of that. I was thinking, I love this movie. It's among my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. It's super cool. It's really interesting. And it's got a really fun cast in it. And I want to introduce it to my son. Fair enough. And and like, that's all it was, was here's a movie I love that I want to share with you. You you weren't even thinking about the double feature You know, we end up, Having these really great conversations about art and fascism over these two episodes that, um, you know, I I think these are some of the some of the most interesting conversations we probably had on this show. It's even great Uh, that uh, unexpected uh, gem of a connection Uh, of, of, yeah, of a connection of two movies, one of which I wasn't thinking of any weird deeper angle on and the other one i really didn't know what to expect and i sure i surely didn't expect anything this 
relevant or deep. So I really appreciate you bringing this movie. Again, this wasn't my favorite World War II movie, but I think inside of this two hours, there's a there's a brilliant movie. It's just like mm-hmm. there's some extra stuff to wade through. But I, th- I think there's a lot of brilliance within this movie, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought it to the table. I, I love, like, okay, so you're always introducing me to movie stuff because you have been around i don't want to say a lot i've been around a long time but uh you've been around so you've seen a lot more movies than i uh and you know a lot of facts about a lot of them so like you're always introducing me to stuff but when like like with emma and this and there's a few other ones that i'm like i'm proud i i brought something to the table no for sure yeah and you you found something you didn't know you liked. I love introducing people to movies. And, you know, I've talked to our buddy Travis, TV's Travis. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the the premise of his entire show is uh, bring, one of bring, you has bring to... a movie that one of us have, hasn't seen before. And uh, I was able to introduce another Tarantino movie to Travis through that. when I, I brought Jackie Brown to him, which is oh, another cool. one of my favorites. And, you know, there's just something about sharing a movie with somebody, with a friend, and they enthusiastically like it. You know they, what I mean? Like that's they the, like that's what the you best like feeling. You're it. like, yeah, or or they like they like some aspect of it where it's like, okay, I'm glad I shared that with them. Now they can enjoy it and be as enthusiastic about this movie as I am. So I think we got we got a good pair here. This was a good this was a good match and a, a good uh, just on a personal level, I think for each of us to be able to yeah. introduce each other to to a movie that this worked uh, out well, it really did. It's like a a good business deal. I'm Shake Im- hands. I'm impressed and... with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you got anything else on this one? I think that wraps it up. Uh, do you recommend the book? I do. Uh, the book is dare I say it so much better because it gets into these characters' heads. You really get to see not just what's in Liesel's head, but you get scenes uh, like the hushed scenes of them talking about what if Max dies. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah, like yeah. there's a scene in the book of like they have to plan out what do they do with his body if he really doesn't right, make yeah. it? How, how do they? Uh, and then there's scenes like uh, the soldiers talking to to Rudy's parents in the kitchen while he plays with dominoes in the oh, living wow. room and it's just kind of like he's listening to them but he doesn't fully understand what's going on it's really good uh i recommend the book it's okay really good is it is uh is it a young adult not that it uh, matters I it just, says for ages 12 and up like you read it as a kid right i i did yeah. i was i think 11 or 12 uh okay. it's got some adult things in there but not like that a kid can't handle i read a, a, a mature I, yeah i read some stuff when i was 11 or 12 that was aimed older than me but i think most 11 and 12 year olds can handle adult topics at least you know there's like a medical exam that the uh nazi youth has to go through where they're like naked and they talk about stuff like that that that's like the only like this isn't kid friendly thing that i can think of i suppose yeah no it's pretty pretty kid friendly okay cool yeah, that's that's the book thief. That's the book thief. Good pick, Oz. Thank you. 
I can't wait to find what you're kicking our next one off with, but uh, you want to do shout-outs first? Uh, yeah. Uh, I've got another music shout-out this week. Uh, an artist by the name of Anne-Marie, and she made a... a uh, well, this is for the music video, uh, but she just made a song called Psycho. Uh, kind of Billie Eilish sounding. The uh, hmm. very electric pop. Uh, it's not going to be everyone's thing, but... Like Florence and the Machine a little bit. Yeah, kinda... something like that. Yeah. Very, very sassy song. Uh, so I thought, yeah, might not be everyone's cup of, but okay. check it out. I, I, I checked out... Your last one was yeah. um, uh, La Grand. The, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That was different. That was interesting. Okay, good. So, I, I'm trying to branch out in like my music taste. So like trying to find new yeah. artists because I'm tired of listening to the same songs. Yeah. No, that was, uh, it was different. EDM right. with yeah. saxophone. Yeah. Weird mix, but I liked it. For sure. Uh, what do you got this week? Uh, I just got a YouTube video that I saw this week that I thought was really pretty cool. Uh, this is from a YouTube account called Film Riot, and it's called Amazing Effects in Classic Films, and they break down special effects from old movies like The Wizard of Oz and uh, Citizen Kane, one of our movies, 2001. They show how how they made the, the pen float in the air when they're Ooh, on the the, cool. the space plane, the space shuttle. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, some Charlie Chaplin stuff, uh, Buster Keaton. Um, uh, yeah, it's just a, a really interesting, they kind of show a scene to a couple of people and ask them to guess like how it was done. Mm-hmm. And then they show you how it was done for real, and it's uh, it's really interesting. It's cool like to learn that the special stuff. effects that they were using in the the thirties, the forties, the twenties, mm-hmm. you know, and how much of it was practical and how much of it is actually done in camera is really really impressive. And a lot of that can still be done today by That's, indie uh, filmmakers. Uh, a lot of what they were advocating for is like learn how this stuff is done. Uh, because a lot of it is stuff that you can do as a as a filmmaker, you know. Instead of crowdfunding for like two hundred thousand dollars for your student um, film, but yeah, uh, you could do what is like, it called? Pr- like like a, practical effects, practical and, effects, and, right. and in camera like that kind of thing. I love stuff like that. I love like matte paintings and um, uh, what's the like rear projection, yeah, uh, kind of stuff. I, th- I just like I think that stuff is with, really uh, cool. Yeah, when we watched Frankenstein and Frankenstein's Bride, like yeah, they, they had the the mini people, uh, right? They did uh, the the in the jars. It's is, like, how do you did how do that? how did you do that? Uh, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, even something simple like forced perspective, like when they have like a prop that's really big. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the depth of field looks really different. I just, that stuff just amazes me. I, I love it. So I, uh, this was a really fun video and I'll have a link to both of these in the show notes. Go check them out. Cool. On that note, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the picture show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please 
leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. That's right. And another way to help us grow the show is if you tell a friend about us. If you know anyone who likes movies, run away with them. Just run out <laughs> of Nazi Germany and go find our podcast. That's right. Uh, please don't burn our podcast. No, listen to it in in our in your basement quietly, right. uh, secretly. Even if you have to steal it from the Burgermeister's <laughs> yeah, wife. The podcast thief. <laughs> Someone's stealing now, our Wi-Fi. <laughs> like... Now that's a modern adaption yeah. of this. Uh, but yeah, anyway, tell a friend about our show. Yes, please do. Austin, you're kicking yes. off a new double feature for us next week. I am. What are we watching? Well, I, I'm i a little apprehensive about this because I think I've Uh-oh. picked one that uh, is going to be hard for a double feature. But... Uh, Let's try it anyway. Babylon. Babylon. That's right. Uh, The movie from last year in which people either loved it or did not understand it. Uh, Interesting. That's my take on it. Uh, And you'll find out more next week. Another Brad Pitt movie, huh? It is. Wow. Watch out, Gary Oldman. I I need to pick a Gary Oldman movie just to, to keep his lead. I almost did this as the, uh... For this movie, uh, yeah, as the double feature, as a Brad Pitt with double Brad feature, Pitt. Yeah. Uh, but I think this worked out better, so yeah, cool. I am looking forward to it because I have not seen it yet, but I have been wanting to, so well, I'm uh, clear six hours out of your schedule. Jeez, uh, it's only three hours. I bet it doesn't feel as long as this movie. Again, not a dig, this movie just feels very long, and Babylon's very fast-paced, so I think you're right about that. Okay, cool. All right, well, us, uh, we got any email this week? Uh, No. Okay. But you guys can always send us an email at austinandphil at gmail.com. Please do. Let us know your thoughts on this movie or any other movie we've covered. Or the book. If you've read the book, Thief, uh, I'd like to know... Your thoughts on that as well. Start a book thief book club. Ooh, yeah. Steal the book and then read it and then talk about it. All right. Uh, You can also find us at Letterboxd. Austin is at Austin N. Rude, and I am at Phil Rude on Letterboxd. That's right. Uh, You can see lists of things that we're watching, uh, things that we're reviewing. I have a list on mine of everything we've watched for this show. And it is nearing 100 movies. We're, we're nearing 100 Ooh. episodes, Oz. What's going to be our 100th? I don't know. I'm going to have to do the math and we're going to have to plan something. It'll be really big. Cool. Boss baby. Boss baby. You know it's going to be. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's not going to be Boss Baby. I'm not. I will it never watch might that movie. be Boss Baby. <laughs> I'm going to ex- exercise my veto power to keep Boss Baby off of the show. Um, yeah. Austin. Would you like to read the credits? Yes, I will. We did it all ourselves. There you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. Mm-hmm.